Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 150. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm a specialist in performance and mindset, working with business owners all over the world, supporting them to be the best and perform at the highest levels in life and business. And I achieve this through my coaching and online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success and to identify common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life. But in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to achieve your goals. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So we've got a great guest lined up, Krista Ungerbach. Now, Krista is a leadership language expert, keynote speaker, and former CEO of a global tech company. His work has appeared in NPR, Forbes, Inc., HR.com, Chief Executive, Recruiter.com, and Entrepreneur. Prior to exiting corporate life at the age of 42, Krista was CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world. While leading the company to over 300% growth, his team won five consecutive top workplace awards, achieved remarkable employee engagement levels of 93%, and became a dominant player in the market niche. His book, 22 Talks Shifts, Tools to Transform Leadership in Business, in Partnership and in Life, helps people build better bosses and become one by shifting their words. Krista, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you. I know we've had a couple of conversations on uh, on LinkedIn before you've come here, but before we really dive into this, can you give us a little bit of a background that's brought you to this point today? Uh, so about four years ago, I found myself at the YMCA. Uh, at that time, I was a CEO of one of the largest family-owned software companies in the world. And a woman asked me a question um, while signing up for a gym membership. Who is your emergency contact? And I broke down crying because in that moment, I had no one. Uh, I had two weeks before that moment, I had walked out on the CEO job of the company that I'd helped build and loved. And, and then two weeks later, my wife walked out on me. And I had read business. I started reading my first business book when I was 12 years old. And I probably read hundreds, if not probably over a thousand business books by the time I you know, find myself at 42, um, standing at the YMCA. And I realized, so I, I looked in the mirror and saw that I had become a leader with no followers. And I was like, what, where did I go wrong? I read, I did all the right things. I went to the right business schools and all that stuff. And so I really separated myself and said, I'm not going to read anything about the business world for the next two or three years until I find the secrets that have kind of been uh, eluding me all these years as CEO. And, you know, going through what I call like a simultaneous business divorce and personal divorce, naturally, I was also exposed to a lot of the kind of relationship research at that time. 
and I ran across a relationship uh, researcher named Dr. John Gottman. He's considered the number one foremost uh, researcher on marriage and divorce, and he's able to predict with 94% accuracy um, uh, divorce by observing a 20-minute conversation between a couple. And he looks for four specific communication patterns. And what struck me is that those same four communication patterns would have predicted every single breakup in my business career. Executives I'd fired, salespeople who left and took customers to competition, every single one of them would have been predicted by this same framework and, and ultimately would have predicted the, the relationship breakdown between myself and my shareholders who happened to be my family members, my father and my brothers. And so I really started saying like, ah. I, I surrounded myself with all these people from outside of the business world with this intention of saying, how can we bring these concepts and translate the language in ways that actually can be used in a work setting that can create better leaders uh, in, a, in the context of not only a business or a team, but also create better leaders in the context of family or you know, uh, better parents, uh, better spouses, and better husbands and wives. Wow. I think it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's, it's that, that communication is so key to, I think it's underestimated the power of communication. Yeah. Well, I, I lived in Europe for six years and had to learn to lead in French and German uh, as an adult. And so language, language is really front of mind for me. And because, you know, most people learn a new language, you know, usually it's because their parents spoke a language. They learn it when they're as an unconscious act, you know, when they're five or six years old. I actually had to build up my leadership language from the ground up in French and German. And, and interestingly, I never actually translated some of those learnings back to my native language, English, um, when I went back. And so uh, th that was really kind of the combination of bringing, bridging these two worlds of leadership in partnership and leadership in business. And then this language aspect, that's another key part of my background. Uh, and then I guess the third, the fact that I lived and breathed a family business for so many years. And it is a highly successful family business. I mean, we grew, you know, we were $100 million in shareholder value when we were done. Uh, well, actually, I handed off to a CEO and the company continues to grow and I'm still an owner. So we had a successful transition despite this kind of business breakup four years ago. So and I, and I credit I credit this what I call the talk shifts with a big part of making that transition successful despite the drama. There's two questions because I find that really interesting. I know um, in the early days when I started my business, I did a lot of work over in Norway and there were specific techniques that I had to teach. And what I was noticing was when I was doing it, the English didn't necessarily have the impact to them who were Norwegian. And I spent a long time specifically learning the Norwegian of the training of that specific strategy in order to see if there was a difference in how they felt when they said it. Um, but also what was amazing was, uh, maybe it's unique, well, maybe it's not unique, and to Norway was there's so many different dialects. So well done could be different things, and I was just using one, so we had to keep constantly tweaking it in order to do that. And that was, that was amazing. And, and I suppose to that, the, that question is, is the noticing of the, you know, how people say something in English to how someone says it in their own language. And then the second question is, did you notice any cultural um, or cultural differences in the way that the Europeans lead to Americans um, or to, to, to the Western world, I suppose, or the far, for the Western world? 
So, so let's take the first question first. One of the interesting things I found with language that is, I think English speakers, we have a little bit of a challenge, uh, a unique challenge that, uh, especially when it comes to creating emotional connection in the sense that if I look up the word uh, to feel um, uh, in French, uh, which is sentir in a thesaurus, you won't find the French word penser to think as a synonym. But we do have that in English. So what happens is that the way it shows up is, and, and I read the books about emotional intelligence and all that, and I, so I found myself saying, I feel that you did that on purpose, or I feel like I was hit like a bus or something like that. Yeah. So when we say, I feel that blank, I feel like blank, these are thoughts, not feelings. And so, so the simple secret to speaking emotion is I feel blank. And the, that blank is always filled with an emotion word. And so when we're trying to create emotional connection, whether it's with employees or whatever, or, or spouses or children, it's important to actually speak actual emotion. Um, and, and so it was just one of the examples I found where language really kind of, in, in this case, English can kind of get in the way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because one of the reasons before I started being a coach, I deliberately learned um, some therapeutic skills to, to learn the language of what, you know, like things like NLP, hypnotherapy, um, and, you know, using positive language for general conversation. And there was a word that we used that said rather that gave people a way to be able to be more in control of sometimes what they were doing, how they were feeling. And it was changing the word from I have was to I'm doing something. And just to change it from going, well, if you're doing something, you can do something about it, i.e. you can hopefully stop it, where if you had it, it's attached to you, it's part of your identity and you're taking it on. And there was huge shifts in how people were dealing with it. I found that absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I, I cover some of those similar things in some of the, the talk shifts is the same thing as, you know, I say, like, in, in like a work setting, sometimes people get trapped in this victim mindset of I have a toxic boss. And, uh, and, and frankly, my father, I for many years considered was a toxic boss. Uh, I, I say he was my first and worst boss. Uh, and, uh, and But we use the talk shifts to actually transform our kind of decades long broken relationship. But they, I, what I realized is, over the journey is that there are no toxic bosses. There are no toxic people. There's only toxic communication between two people. And you know, we have this uh, talk shift quiz or talk shift assessment. We have over 150,000 data points now. Um, and uh, and what the interesting thing we're finding is that we are able to predict whether people have a frustrating relationship in their life at work or at home based upon their words, not the words of the other person, based on their words. And so this gives us hope that we always think that the breakdown in our relationship uh, in our communication is because of the other person's words, but it gives us hope that maybe shifting frustrating relationships is solely about shifting our words and it has nothing to do with the other person's. So, you know, the, the, actually the listeners can take the quiz if they want. It's a free quiz. It takes like three minutes at talkshift.com slash quiz. Okay, brilliant. I like that. My granddad sucked me. So I know, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know exactly that feeling. Um, and what about the different cultures in how, sort of if you want France and Germany and maybe even England are to the leadership styles in, compared to America? Have you noticed any big differences or, or similarities? 
Well, the biggest insight I got was actually from a French CEO who had worked for an American company, French company, and German company. And this was like 15 years ago. And he said, have you noticed that what Americans do, uh, and I think maybe to some degree Brits as well, is we give someone a task and then, you know, let's say it's a big project. And then we check in two or three days later to kind of just make sure that we're heading in the right direction, right? It's that whole, it's all that whole thing. If there's somebody's one degree off in their heading, then if you meet them, a, you know, if you meet them like five miles later, they're going to be really far away from the end result that we wanted to get them to. And he said, Germans, uh, on the other hand, will be offended if you come to them two or three week, two or three days later, they expect that you're going to just they're going to provide it to you on the date that you asked for and that it's going to be perfect and I was I heard that like three years after I had started leading Germans and I was like all of these conversations in my head were I, I could see the looks of frustration on these Germans faces when I would follow up with something and I was, oh my gosh like that's why and I talked to some of the Germans and they said oh yeah that really annoys us like you know and uh, so I, I found I found it was really interesting, like uh, that that subtle difference. And I, I think it maybe comes down to like uh, I, I had this theory that maybe it's because German has the the verb at the end, <laughs> so they 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 think somewhat differently because you have to actually listen a little more intently in German because you you know you. The, the verb, the key part of the phrase is actually at the end of the sentence. If you ever read the Frank, if you ever read the Frankfurter Allgemeine, which is their like New York Post or whatever, um, in Germany, they use very, very complex German. And sometimes you'll read, you have to read like 20 or 30 words before you get to the verb where you actually know what's happening in the sentence. So it's, it's, it is very different. Uh, you know, they say sometimes, sometimes you convince people by presenting your argument and then you say the recommendation and in other cases you say the recommendation and then you support it with your argument. I think there's, I think there's probably some cultural differences that admittedly I haven't completely kind of cracked the code that Germans may think differently in that regard than some other cultures. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about the ones that only gave me five minutes before they came back to check to see what I was doing, not the ones that gave me five days. Um, the other part of the, this is, what about because one of the things that keeps coming up with a lot of the listeners that I get is about sort of if you want well-being mental health and those sort of things and obviously that's a tough thing to communicate depending on I guess the the era you grew up as as a as a leader I mean a lot of the companies I used to work for it was more command and control um and do you do you notice any difference about talking to that and and is it is it a challenge generally with with sort of that type of company do you think well I, first i think the the command and control is is starting to, you know, that is a leadership style that I think was born of like the industrial revolution, you know, almost 200 years ago. And we live in a world where, you know, just because that's the way most of us were led, you know, I'm in my forties, most of us were led by leaders. So we kind of do the same thing. But over the last 10 years, the world has changed. In the U.S., we have Glassdoor. So like, you know, if a boss isn't liked. I mean, you know, any employee in an entire company can go post on a website of how terrible it is to work there. And then LinkedIn is making it easier for people to find and escape toxic work culture. So the, the, this, this thing of kind of command and control leadership is unfortunately 
well, not unfortunately, is I guess I would say fortunately, is is becoming less uh, sustainable. So I think that there's been a, an accelerating shift towards more compassionate and participative leadership, uh, partly driven by, you know, in the U.S. we have millennials who are kind of thinking differently about work. Um, but I also think that there's, uh, you know, one of the talk shifts, talk shift number nine, uh, which actually if people take the quiz, they'll end up getting in an email. It's about how to give an autonomy raise versus, uh, versus a pay raise. And autonomy is known as one of the kind of three primary drivers of engagement. But with the challenge is that a lot of these command and control leaders uh, who don't give as much autonomy aren't unaware, they're unaware of it, right? So the first step, and so these talk shifts that we created, they're, they're, they're for leaders to use with the people on their team teams who work for them, but they're also for the people who work for them to shift their bosses. So we talk about building better bosses, um, which a lot of leaders are like, how can I build more bosses below me, right? But it's also about building a better boss out of your current one. So um, what I find is that if leaders say to their teams to say, hey, here's these talk shifts, please, let's, let's, let's explore these together. And then I'm going to ask you to hold me accountable to actually work through these and what we find is there's 22 of the talk shifts. Sometimes all it takes is one to make one of these 22 to make a big difference in a relationship. Um, but the other thing we find is that when two people read the book, they typically take away three different talk shifts as the ones that are most important to them. So if I read it with a spouse or I read it with a child or I read it with a boss, it's likely that the part of the process is to say, well, so out of these 22, which would you like me to work on in our relationship? And what happens is the two people tend to pick three different ones. So I say, hey, boss, I'd like you to work on 6, 12, and you know, 6, 13, and 17, or whatever. And then the other person says, well, the boss says, well, I would like you to work on 21 and 15 and whatever. And so now we're both equally making commitments to shift our communication, but they're different commitments because what I look for in communication from a leader is different from what a leader looks for in communication from someone uh, who reports to them or in the same thing husbands and wives and parents and children I like, that. I like that just before we jump over to the second part what do you think um are going to be the challenges in that leadership communication with the with covid going on and if you want and post covid do you see people having to well, I suppose it's a skill that they, they, they should learn anyway. But do you foresee any challenges in that because of maybe where they are at this pro present moment in time, panicking about stuff and how they're going to communicate? I, I actually think that there's, you know, uh, this book would not nearly as been as successful if it came out even six months or a year ago. Um, in fact, it was interesting. I, I rewrote the book five times and it was delayed for a number of reasons. And I was so thankful. In fact, my first manuscript was due right before COVID hit the U.S. in March and it got delayed about two months. Um, and, and, and I recall, because what I, what I found is, you know, I, I'm in a lot of CEO groups being a former CEO and leaders at the top levels of organizations are being forced to be more compassionate in ways that they've never been before. And so these talk shifts are in many respects, they're tools for being more compassionate. They're simple fill in the blanks phrases, ask it this way. Think of like training wheels for this new breed of leadership that we're all being called to do because there's so much pain in the world, uh, partly because of COVID and in the U.S. with the race relations and things like that. And so these, admittedly, like I am, I, while I was so frustrated that the book got delayed a number of times, I am so thankful.
thankful that it was because the timing could not be better because the world needs these need these tools uh, uh, more, now more than ever. Hey guys, so just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I've got a great opportunity for you. I've been working hard on an online program designed to assist you in building a strong personal success plan and developing those goal achieving superpowers. More than ever, I've seen the importance of honing these skills and maximizing your energy and efforts in a focused direction. So I'm looking for 20 people who would like to join me on the pilot program of Success IQ Catalyst. It's free, what we'll do is, We'll basically work through the program and I will coach you while you give me feedback on the program. And it's designed to help you get clarity, focus, and a plan that assists you in living that exceptional life. If you're interested, just visit www.jeffnicholson.co.uk forward stroke catalyst pilot. All information is on the show notes. Take care. Have an amazing day. Now let's get back on with the show. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump over to the second part of the show. This is where I get an opportunity to answer you, uh, ask you a set of questions. So, sir, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so the first question is, on average, how much time do you roughly do, uh, dedicate to self-development? That's body, mind, and spirit. Admittedly, I don't do nearly as much self-development as I used to. Uh, you know, like the last three or four years, I did a lot. I, I'd say maybe three or four, four hours. A lot of it is on more, I've shifted back towards more tactical skills like marketing and things like that because I'm in, you know, launching a book, right? Um, but I tend, to, I, I tend to find that like the personal development, uh, yeah, as I said, I've read hundreds or thousands of books. And what I found over the last four years is really the experiential um, things where it's like really physically, um, you know, uh, experiencing like, especially emotional intelligence. I mean, I can read about it. I can talk about it, but it wasn't until I actually like got into these groups with, frankly, there were a lot of very like kind of new agey, uh, you know, I used to kind of judge these people as like far out. And now I just call them people from California. Right. So, um, <laughs> the, yeah, I call them people from Brighton in the UK. So I know oh, exactly what you mean. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll file that away. I did, I've been to Brighton. I've been to Brighton a couple of times. I didn't know they were the Californians of the, of the, of the, and uh, so, but yeah, so, you know, what I found is, I mean, there's, and admittedly, there are so many people that I came across in these workshops. I mean, I probably did like 20 of them, uh, different, different walks of life. And I met so many people in their fifties and sixties and seventies who came to realizations, like maybe they hadn't spoken with their kids for 10 years, or they were on their third marriage or third divorce or whatever. And they realized in their sixties and seventies that the the real challenge was them all along and it was their their words and i just I, I i saw the pain in their eyes and admittedly i saw some of that pain in my father's eyes when i read him um a draft of the book about 18 months ago and it's like it's like if if it's like imagine walking through your entire life with toilet paper on your shoe and finding out at age 75 that, wow, the reason that my relationships at work and at home were not as powerful as they could have been was, was my words all along. And I'm so, so grateful that I discovered that uh, my, despite all the business success that I achieved, that uh, I'm so grateful that I discovered that my words were the problem uh, in my 40s and not in my 60s or 70s. 
Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I kind of like had a, a life epiphany at about thirty. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you, you're lucky you got um, one early. Yeah, I know, I know, and that, that's sometimes I say that to the kids because no matter how dark it was, the fact that I was able to pivot then and not. You know, when I, when, you know, there's all, all these people say, I'll live my life when I retire. I said, well, why wait that long? But, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it is, it's a fascinating thing when you, when you hit that metaphorical or sometimes physical brick wall and get a chance to stop and reflect and then make a decision on which way you're going to go. Um, well, that, that's one of the reasons I wrote a business book that's really kind of, it's, a, it's really a relationship communication book in many respects and a business book. And I wrote it as a business book because so many successful business leaders and entrepreneurs don't really dig into the relationship side until their relationships are gone, right? And so, and they like, they say like uh, when, when, a, when a spouse comes and says they want to leave a marriage, usually they're already mentally gone. And the reality is, is the same thing applies to employees. By the time they quit, they're already, they left six months or 12 or 12 months or 18 months ago. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, I've, I've worked with the, the, I've had clients over from the States who have come home and found that there's a letter on the door saying, well, we did try to tell you ages and ages ago, but you weren't listening. And their focus is, well, hang on, I'm growing the business in order to give you the lifestyle. But what they've, what they've misconnected with is understanding that actually they were part of the journey as well and they haven't they haven't stopped and spent quality time with them because all they've done is his head down and move forward and mm-hmm. you, you don't want to live life looking in the rearview mirror um and unfortunately some of the ramifications i remember asking a marriage counselor a woman you know, who'd been a marriage counselor for like 40 years what are the things that women say on your couch over and over and over again and she told me five things, one of which is probably not uh, good for a business podcast, but the other four, the other four, you can probably guess what it is, but the, the, the other four literally were the exact same words that employees say when they're frustrated in a job. So what if the secret to creating happier employees was also the secret to creating happier wives? And that is fundamentally kind of what, um, by meeting people where they are in the business section of the bookstore and giving them tools that help them to be successful, better leaders, both in in work, but also in their personal relationships, that's really what this book is all about. Love it. Love it. Okay, question number two, what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Uh, I'd say it's it's a book called Nonviolent Communication, not because it's necessarily an interesting read, uh, but it was uh, it was one of those books that I think was not a, a commercial success. It's been around for 20 or 30 years in various forms. It wasn't a commercial success because the title, you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, the title is Nonviolent Communication, yeah, which is a great way if you're on a flight to New York uh, to stop the conversation pretty quickly. <laughs> Just pull that book out. Hey, yeah. And so, but it, what it was is it was in very much, it was a, it was a language language of, of emotional intelligence and connecting with people. And a lot of the things that are informed in my book are taking that language was somewhat from the 70s, a little bit new agey, uh, d- generally would not work in a business context. And I took a lot of that language and I kind of translated it and made it, okay, here's some subtle shifts that you can use these same language stems to actually create emotional connection in a business context. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, question number three, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? You know, I, I don't know. I spend a lot of time with a Facebook ad manager. <laughs> uh, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't have a specific app that really has a big yeah. impact on my that life. That is cool. That's excellent. Um, okay, number four, what's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? I think I, I already said it. It was that moment where I was at the YMCA and realized that I was a leader with no followers and that the source of that problem was me. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, number five, what are your challenges? Oh, oh, actually, can I say a different one? So the yeah, other insight that I realized was, so the reason we were able to create this company that grew 3,000% was because in when I was 19 years old, I said my life vision is to build a billion dollar company in my life. And so I had a lot of great people who followed that vision, right? It was like the big, hairy, audacious goal or whatever that the writers say you're supposed to have. Um, time. Jim Collins or whatever. Um, but so, and so I had this big vision that people followed, but I realized is that people didn't want to follow me. So if you really want to get remarkable results, then you have both a vision that people are inspired to follow and you are someone that people are inspired to follow. And that is ultimately, um, that is ultimately I, what I was missing was that second piece. Yeah. And it's, it's sitting it's being comfortable with that bit as well, because sometimes it's, it's you know it's, it's the language, but also that that personal shift that you have to do to bring those people on board and, and go with them. That can be you know sometimes people get a shock like oh I want to build this personal brand that does X, and they don't realize what's entailed in creating that tribe following community whatever as well as like you said the mission yeah yeah well my mission is to use business communication as a vehicle to transform 10 million marriages leaders and lives so love it uh, that is well you heard it here (laughs) it's definitely worth it (laughs) okay number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them um yeah, I don't know. It's been a while since I, I feel like I've got a good balance these days. I mean, it helps that I have had, I, I was fortunate to have business success so that I don't have to necessarily be a, have the financial fears that often come associated with work. So admittedly, I think I'm like an outlier in that case. Uh, yeah, I, I know that it's... It's much more t- much more t- much more difficult to balance work in work in, in uh, home life when you're not sure if you can make your mortgage because of how your yeah, business. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, isn't it? It's there's the it's quite often it's that one and the fact that you know many many um, of the entrepreneur. Well, I'd have I'd have met an entrepreneur that hasn't been like this. Love what they do, so it's very hard sometimes for them to understand that work and okay, I need, to be, uh, I need to be at home with people and uh, my loved ones and my family when I'm, I'm not actually working, I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about. Well, understand that especially men, because I think men fall into that trap more frequently than women, is that one of those things that women say on the couch is that uh, the reason he spends so much time working is because he loves his work more than me. So every, and like, this is one of those five things. So every time you go to work on a Saturday, just, just imagine that you're, 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 you're walking out the front door with a big sign on your back that your wife says, that says, I love my work more than you. Yeah. And she's just told 50 friends. Yeah. So, and, and, and I think that, you know, as entrepreneurs, it's like, oh, I'm going to build the business, build the business, build the business. But I can speak from personal experience that you can build a business for 20 years. And guess what happens when you get divorced? Uh, every marriage, every, every divorce lawyer I've talked to says you can, you're going to lose 50% of the value you created, if not more, overnight. So investing a little bit in that along the way to make sure you don't have that discontinuous, uh, you know, basically drop yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's well worth the effort. <laughs> okay. Question number uh, six is, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Uh, lead people to their solutions, not yours. Uh, that's uh, talk shift number 13. Love that. Can you go into a little bit deeper on that one? Um, it's, it's really about how to bring people to come to their solutions and I give some specific questioning techniques and letting go. It's probably not something we can cover in a minute or oh, two. That's fine. That's fine. You got to get the book. That's what, that's what you got to well, do. You don't have to get the book. You just have to fill the quiz out and then wait okay. for the email uh, three days later that will give you the tool that you can share with whoever in your life. By the way, leading people to the solution, their solutions, not yours, is also one of those five top frustrations that wives have with their husbands. So it is, an, it is another one of those things that literally you can read with your spouse and she will say, oh, please, please, please do this. Please, please, please. Do this. Don't just do it with your employees. Start it here at home. <laughs> Kids are going to fill it in. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, number seven is what is your definition of success? It's uh, it's having uh, having impact on as many lives as possible. I've said many times that if I don't, if I, if I, if I can transform ten million marriages, leaders, and lives, and I don't make a single dollar doing it, then that's a win. Cool, cool, love that one. Okay, the final question is: Do you have any daily routines or rituals that have made a huge positive impact to your day? I don't actually. That's one of the things that I'm actually working on is getting better at having uh, regular routines. Cool. Brilliant. And finally, the floor is yours, Krista, for you to share how we can um, get more information about your book, um, how we can connect with you. So please take it away. Well, first, take the quiz, talkshift.com slash quiz. Uh, if you want to dig deeper, you can get the book. Although I must admit that uh, the most the, the most effective way to start a talk shift with someone in your life, especially in a marriage or a family, is to watch the video book. Uh, the video book is going to be coming out in November, uh, but it's going to include bonus footage of me being interviewed. Uh, actually, the, the guy who interviewed me actually brought some of his own challenges in relationships, and we kind of... Uh, workshop them kind of in real time but what happens is when you watch it with someone then talk about the specific tools after each chapter I, I, uh, I, I will guarantee it will have a significant impact on any relationship in your life and, uh, and we offer a money-back guarantee of course uh, if it doesn't but I have no concerns um, about that brilliant Krista Krista, thank you so much for taking the time of your busy schedule to join me. I've really enjoyed um, our conversation. I look forward to reading the book as well. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Take care. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast, and that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me 
grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.